Hi, my name is Jordan, and you are listening to the Great Light Studios podcast. All the episodes you will hear on this podcast are the audio versions of the video content that you can find on the Great Light Studios YouTube channel. If you would like to help support myself and Great Light Studios in continuing to produce this content, there's a few ways that you can do that. You can find information about how to do that in the show notes of this episode. There you will also find links to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and also contact information if you want to reach out. If you enjoy this content or benefit from it, would you consider leaving a five-star review on this podcast? Positive reviews go a long way in helping to get this content pushed out to more people. With all that said, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Yeah, so I just wanted to continue with what I said uh, earlier about the concept of high control group. So regarding language, yeah, they, they tend to use things like loaded language. And they also, one of the things that they do is they isolate the people that they recruit from each other so that they, once again, it's also to stop any interference. For like example, they don't want people that are being recruited to be too close to each other because if one of the people becomes suspicious and leaves the group, they could influence others to leave with them. So they're kind of, they want to kind of isolate the people, specifically those they recruit, the students, from each other. And this is a common practice that are followed, not just in ACJ, but in various other organizations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also tend to isolate uh, current members from former members so that they don't interfere with the you know, development process within the group, which is the process of creating members to become true believers. Um, and they tend to make people doubt their own experiences of reality by making them question their own sanity, their perception, as well as their memory, which is, what, as you mentioned before, that's what you would call gaslighting. It's a very common tactic that they'll use. Um, they tend to believe that they possess the ultimate truth and that the only right way to live is according to the doctrine and the rules of the group. So this tends to create, uh, get people to have an unrealistic sense of certainty to the point where it is impossible for them to be wrong about anything. No amount of evidence will change their mind. And not everyone is like this, but they want people to be so convinced that any opposing evidence to the organization shouldn't have any effect on a you know, true believer. I just, clo- I just call this close-mindedness. Uh, absolute certainty actually results in, op- uh, in close-mindedness, which I think is a bad thing because it limits you from learning about the world. And there's a lot of stuff that we might be wrong about. We should always be open to new evidence and changing our mind. Um, so they tend to label criticism as a form of persecution. So, I mean, when you think about what I do is I criticize SCJ because I think that there isn't good criticism, or enough good criticism of ACJ online. So all that I'm doing is I'm expressing disapproval. I'm ultimately, I'm not persecuting them. I've never threatened to kill anyone at ACJ. I've never tried to coerce anyone to leave ACJ. I haven't tried to intimidate them to the extent that they feel like their, their life is in danger. I've never done any of those things. I, I don't understand how they think that I'm persecuting them, but it's one of the things that they're taught is that anyone that disagrees with them, that criticizes, oh, that's persecution. But when you yeah. think of it, criticism is essential. When, when you live in a de- democratic society, then there's freedom of speech. Criticism is essential for people to discover that which works, that which is true, for society to grow and to develop. But once again, it's the way that an organization like ACJ functions is not very democratic. It's authoritarian. It's like a dictatorship where the leader, what the leader says is true and that you simply have to follow it. And anyone that criticizes the leader, that's a persecutor. That's the enemy. It's from the devil. And of course, there's a lot of emotional manipulation that also happens. And they they will use feelings of fear 
And this fear is like fear towards the outside world, fear towards losing your salvation, fear of receiving punishment, fear of the consequences of leaving the group, and also the fear of being shunned by the group. They'll use this feeling uh, to ultimately uh, control the behavior of the people inside the group and also to keep them from leaving the group. And some, uh, in psychology, this is sometimes called phobia indoctrination to the point where you don't believe in what the group believes in anymore, but you're terrified of leaving. You're terrified what will happen to you because you've been taught all these terrible things that happen to people that end up leaving the group. And they also use feelings of things like shame and guilt, where shame is referring to feeling that there's something wrong with us or guilt, the feeling we did something wrong. But there's constantly this kind of cycle of shame and guilt, shame and guilt. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? Something wrong with you. You're sinful. You need to repent. This is this continuous cycle uh, um, that kind of also is used to control people and to keep them from leaving the group and also to keep I, them from trusting themselves. I just, yeah. sorry to cut you off again. I just, I just wanted to say real quick, cause I just, I think it's important for, for especially those who have experienced this sort of thing to understand that <coughs> this, this really is spiritual, emotional, whatever, whatever you want to call it abuse. I mean, yeah. this, this is, um, these are things that are abusive and this, this is because of what you're describing is why members who, who have been in um, this group for uh, years, you know, sometimes are are told that their process of healing might be double uh, what the amount of times they are in the group um, because this, this sort of stuff is traumatizing. Um, And I, I think it's important that people realize that, um, in large part, because I think people who come out of these groups get so confused about why they might still feel the way they do. And, and so many people come out mm. and they, they might not even believe it rationally, but inside they still have all these attachments and these feelings that, that might be triggered in, in them of shame or fear or what, whatever things might be triggered by, um, any, number of, of things they might encounter that that kind of take them back into their experiences in the group. And so I, I just think it's important that people, mm. again, especially those who have come out of it, re- understand and, and can sympathize uh, uh, with themselves that, it, it you know, it's okay for however difficult it is after having left the group, whatever sort of things you might be experiencing that that you don't know why you feel the way you feel, you don't know why it is such a struggle and you might be triggered back into it all over again, you know, in, in sort of a continuous cycle, mm. all that is very normal because you have been, you have been abused. Um, it, it might be a different, a different sort of abuse than what you might think of when you normally think of, abuse. <coughs> um, you know, uh, but, but it is abuse all the same. And so, um, yeah, I just, I think, I hope people can, just, just kind of, I think, understand that and then have a little bit more um, uh, awareness mm. of it and then uh, uh, even just compassion on themselves for whatever they might be experiencing after having um, separated from, from these groups. Yeah, that's very good points. Um, uh, other kind of tactics that are used by high control groups is that they try to make the members, the group members, believe that their former lives were like really, really bad. So they get you to constantly think about your life before joining the organization and to find faults in your life, how bad it was, where you kind of exaggerate a bit over time, but you start believing that exaggeration and you think that your life was really, really bad. And now your life is so much better. 
And that even if you're going through difficulties in this kind of high control group, in this cult, you still think, oh, but my life is still better than what it was before. And this kind of creates a sense of gratitude for being part of the group. And another thing is that high control groups, they tend to believe that all former members who left the group were wrong for leaving. And there can, can never be a good reason for leaving. So all the kind of reasons are simply because people are deceived. They now have been taken by the enemy. Even though they ask questions, that's not really the problem. The problem is something in their childhood or they have emotional damage. They're not thinking straight. They're not thinking rationally. Um, and this is kind of a, a frustrating thing that I experienced as well, where people kept telling me, oh, I've never met anyone that left, that left for a good reason. And I tried to explain my reasons and they kept just going to another topic. And I told them, but do you at least have a response to my reason? <laughs> it's, yep. it's, it's kind of a frustrating thing. Um, and they, they can be good reasons. I mean, there's even, there's a, I think a new heaven, new earth, uh, YouTube channel. I can't remember the specific name of the channel where they make videos. Uh, it's like kind of an SCJ propaganda channel where they'll, they, they made a video once about why people leave SCJ and they made it as if everyone just leaves it because they have emotional problems. Um, and then I, I ended up responding, telling them I have, I, if, if it was simply because of emotion, I would have stayed in SCJ. If I, if I simply followed my emotions, I would still be an SJ. I wouldn't mm -hmm. have left. Uh, emotionally, it was much more comfortable and co comforting to have stayed in SJ than to leave. It was extremely uncomfortable for me to leave. And for a lot of people, if you simply had to choose what is more emotionally comfortable, a lot of people would have stayed. Exactly. And they chose that which is logical over simply feelings. And this is one of the yep. things SJ will also tell people is, you should follow that which is logical, that which is based on evidence or good reason and not just your feelings. Your feelings is not important. Mm -hmm. um, but then at the end, they'll just make oh, everyone that left, regardless of the reasons, regardless of their questions, oh, it's just your feelings. It's just your feelings. Yeah. And there isn't well, any good reason. It's quite frustrating. I'm sorry, sorry, I keep cutting you off. I know we need to try to get through yeah. this, but I think <laughs> that's just that's something that I want to point out is, is not just something that exists in groups like the SCJ, but... Um, I mean, that's within, within Christian circles, you know, there's, um, I mean, I, I've been guilty of that way of thinking about others. You know, if, <coughs> if um, in the past people had doubted or questioned their faith or had really strong disagreements or, or questions about certain doctrines that I might have believed in and held as being essential, I would have viewed them as, as most likely underlying all that. They've got like a sin issue. You know, they, <laughs> they must have something's wrong in their motives, yeah. you know? It, 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 and um, so it's, it's been, you know, within the past few years that I've, I've kind of realized how just unhealthy and, and wrong that, that view is, you know, people, you know, I, I, I would have, you know, I'm putting this on myself in the past had a view of atheists that, you know, if, if you're an atheist, it's because ultimately, yeah, right. <laughs> um, you must have something, you know, really, you know, you yeah. just, you know, oh, I mean, to put it simply, you want, you just want sin. You want to pursue a life of yeah. sin and you just don't <laughs> want to submit yourself to God. But ultimately what I've found as I've, as I've wrestled with my own doubts and my own questions that have been incredibly painful and difficult is that many people who who might um, either change their minds dramatically about what they believe or maybe the specific doctrines that they do or do not hold to, or those who completely move away from it altogether, um, mo more often than not, especially for those who have been attached to a 
uh, Christianity or any religion for a long time. It's it's they, they there's more that they're losing in in many cases than what they're gaining. It, it, it's not an mm. easy yeah. feel good process. Um, and most of the time, these people are entering into these times kicking and screaming, doing everything they can to cling on to what they believe. And, and so, so yeah, it, it kind of has come to really irritate me that that assumption that mm. people have that oh, if you don't if you don't continue to believe what I believe, there must be something. It must be because you have evil motives or intentions. Yeah. I've got some, uh, I've got some strong demons inside of me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, in high control groups, um, there's, you know, you can, the, the cult will kind of view some people as like strong members, which is ultimately those that are good at meeting group expectations. And then there's also like weak members, which are those that struggle to meet group expectations. So the high control groups will, they will use strong members to kind of spy, which is to secretly gather information on the weak members. And then they must then report that to the leaders so that this is kind of used to recruit people, but also to kind of uh, um, make the people inside of the church to develop strategies uh, to make them true believers. Uh, and this is actually one of the ways in which they're quite you know, deceptive because it's very difficult like when you join, a, join an organization like, like SEJ is that they don't have transparency, which I think is essential for trust. They don't have integrity, which I also think is essential for trust. And they don't really maintain discretion because they constantly try to gather information from you and then they share it with other leaders in the church. So you don't really have like there's certain stuff that people have the right to keep private if they want to. It's their personal matters. And if they share it with someone in confidence, that person shouldn't go and then share with many other leaders in the church. Um, what gives them the right to know all of those things? Um, so I think that fundamental aspects of trust, which I consider things like integrity, transparency, discretion, I think those are things that ACJ does not follow, but they create the appearance of it. So that the idea of trust that you build with them is completely based on, 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 on lies. Um, another thing that high control groups do is that they tend to suppress people's critical thinking. They don't like me a lot. I like to, to think critically. They mm -hmm. tend to uh, suppress people's critical thinking towards the group so that people don't criticize the group. People don't ask difficult questions about the group. And people also demand don't demand evidence for the claims made by the group. This is one thing that they really hate is they, they hate it when I demand evidence for a claim. They'll usually shift the burden of proof or they'll make a character attack. Or sometimes they'll they'll simply say that they believe it because they believe it or something like that. Or they, you know, because this is what they, they point to some kind of authority and then that's that's the reason why they believe if i point out logical fallacies they'll say that logic is from the devil or it's from the world or they'll make a distinction between man's logic and their god's logic to the point where it's just like they just keep making excuses you can't really get anywhere so it's 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 kind of frustrating but you know what do you expect so yep. members of high control groups they tend to appear to be very happy and willing to suffer for the benefit of the group so to them, happiness tends to come from a good performance within the group. Of course, this good performance is according to what the group's goals are, what the group wants to achieve at any given moment. And they tend to feel that they will never be good enough to meet the standard of righteousness expected by the group. So there's the sense of unworthiness uh, um, where there's this, this kind of, you know, there's this ideal way which you need to be. But that ideal way, you just never achieve it. You always strive for it. You're just never good enough. And Keeps this, you in this debt. can sometimes... Yeah, so you're just you're you're just never good enough, um, and 
yeah, that's that's kind of it, it creates this unrealistic sense of self-actualization where they create this expectation. If you are like this, then you are the best version of who you could be. But it's unachievable where you think, oh, I'm becoming this best version of myself. And a common thing that you find in ACJ, which is rather frustrating, is that people will speak about how much they've changed. And then but when you when you actually look at them, they're pretty much just they're continuously just meeting new expectations that are created. And then they change like this and like this and like this. But Group expectations can also change. So it's like, when do you ever actually achieve it? Because if it can change according to the leaders, then it's ultimately, it's like a, it's like a, a, a carrot on a stick in front of you. You're always chasing for it, but you never get there. And you're always, it can always be used to make you feel like you're not good enough. And this can also be very damaging towards people. So there is, there's serious consequences to belonging to a high control group. So if you belong to a high control group for an extended period of time, one of the things that people tend to experience when they leave uh, or that when they are in a, in a cult for a long time is what you would call identity disturbance because they're so used to, there's a specific way that the group wants them to be that they've forgotten who they are. So when they leave, they tend to ex experience extreme identity confusion. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they want to do with their life. And they can also experience things like depression. They have a lot of anger, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. They can sometimes also be overly dependent because in the, in the, in the cult, they were extremely dependent on the leaders. Now they're looking for new people that they can be overly dependent on. Where they're as if like they're a child that, that needs like a parent to tell them what to do the whole time. They're not everyone experiences that, but some people do. And they can also have phobias where they have certain fears. And of course, the most common fear is the fear of hell, the fear of the devil coming to do something or God judging you or something like that. This is now the God of the specific cult that you belong to. And also other things could be a fear of, of intimacy, a fear of commitment. There could also be a distrust of yourself where in the cult, you were always told that your own thoughts is evil. You shouldn't, you shouldn't think for yourself. You shouldn't follow your own thoughts. So you can struggle to, to trust yourself. You think like, how can you trust yourself now that you've left? Or can you trust yourself? The fact, the fact that you want to leave, is that a good reason to leave? How do you know? Maybe you're wrong, you know? Um, and you also struggle to trust other people because if you realize what ACJ did to you and how they kind of uh, manipulated you, of course, naturally, the natural response would be, but I shouldn't trust people that easily again. But it can sometimes go to extreme where you struggle to trust anyone at all. Um, and this can produce a lot of problems. And when you distrust yourself and other people it can also result in things like loneliness where in the in the group you had the sense of belonging relatedness the sense of community and now you're alone you're by yourself you struggle to trust people you struggle to make friends you struggle to move on with your life you're all alone so loneliness is also something that people experience and i would say actually that's one of the biggest things that i experienced after i left acj uh, i would say the first six months after acj i was extremely lonely even though i was surrounded by quite a lot of people I've, I didn't feel understood by them. It's actually only once I started building a, a, a nice group of friends that are ex-ACJ people that my loneliness kind of disappeared. And I would say probably about a, about a year after ACJ, the loneliness was almost completely gone. It, it wasn't really uh, there anymore. Um, but it, it, it takes time. And it, 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 loneliness, I would say, is, is something that almost every single ACJ person that I've chatted with, that have, ACJ person that have left, almost all of them struggle with loneliness. Another thing as well, low, low self-esteem. People will feel like, you know, you know, you sometimes might feel embarrassed because you might feel, oh, I was so gullible to believe in this. What will people think of me if I tell them? Um, you, you might also feel like you've kind of fallen a bit 
behind the, the other people. So like a common thing that people do when they leave SEJ, specifically the younger people, they'll think, okay, I'm like, for example, myself, I'm, I'm, when I left SEJ, I was almost 30 years old. I, th I thought I'm almost 30. I have no money. I don't have a car. I don't have a house. I don't have a job. I've got nothing. I'm not married. I don't have children. I've got nothing. I feel like I'm worthless. Um, and this is, you know, you tend to compare yourself with other people that I went to school with. And I think, oh, where are they now? They're, they're, you know, very successful. They've got a lot of stuff. They've got families. You know, I don't have any of that. Um, that can have a, you know, significant effect on your self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I would say that it, how it can also affect people is a, a, a loss of life meaning. Uh, where in the organization, in the cult, they felt that they had this meaning and purpose in life. And now that they've lost it, they don't know how to find it again. Um, and this is where uh, a lot of people, one of the things that I would suggest, like, I mean, the, sometimes the question is asked, how can we avoid falling victim to a high control group? So, of course, I know that most of the people listening to this channel have probably already been in a high control group or they know someone that is in a high control group. But I think it's also important to mention, how, like, what type of people are very difficult to recruit to a high control group? Of course, the tactics that high control groups use can be very convincing if you're in a vulnerable stage of your life. So it might be very difficult, you know, for a person to kind of overcome their tactics because it can be very convincing. But generally speaking, if you educate yourself on the psychology of high control groups, if you understand the psychology of it, and if you embrace critical thinking, not just in some aspects of your life, but in all aspects of your life. And thirdly, if you surround yourself with a strong social support structure, people that accept you for who you are, that sincerely care about you, and that wants to help you to become the best version of yourself. If you have those things in place in your life, it is very, very difficult for a high control group to recruit you. Very, very difficult. They will most likely fail. Um, so I, I would definitely suggest that to all people. Uh, um, when it comes to the psychology of high control groups, it's pretty much just, just in a more general sense, you can study the psychology of indoctrination and exploitation, coercion, manipulation, those types of things. If you understand it, you will start seeing a lot of problems with the way that people do things. And I think critical thinking is absolutely amazing. There's a great website called Thinking is Power um, that I would definitely suggest. It, it has like a, a kind of a foundational course on critical thinking. And I think it is uh, extremely useful for, for any kind of person with any kind of worldview to use. Um, so studying the psychology of eye control groups, embracing critical thinking in all aspects of your life, and thirdly, having a strong so social support structure will make you very resilient and you can, in that sense, avoid uh, falling victim to a high control group. Um, and I think the last thing that I wanted to address is for those people that have left a high control group and have a loved one or someone they care about in a high control group, the question is, how can we help those people? And of course, there are various different ways, but I will just try to kind of give you a basic summary. So um, helping people in high control groups, uh, it's, it's a process. Don't consider it like I'm going to talk to them once and they're going to leave. Don't have an unrealistic expectation. I know that most people don't, but some people do. So remember that it's a process and it requires a lot of patience, a lot of effort, a lot of empathy, respect, kindness, and also adaptability. You need to learn how to adapt to their situation. You need to learn to empathize with them. These are extremely important things. So before you try to approach them, I think it would be important to educate yourself on the psychology of high control groups and to learn how to effectively communicate with those types of people. Um, don't make any assumptions about them. 
Make sure that you educate yourself regarding how they function. And even while you're communicating with them, what I think is important is that, once again, don't make assumptions about them. Rather, ask questions. Let them explain it. Um, it's one of the things that they're very frustrated about, like, for example, ACJ, is that there's so much misinformation about ACJ online. And they get very frustrated when people keep assuming stuff. When I left ACJ and my family, they knew that I was an ACJ. They also made a lot of assumptions because they assumed that the stuff written about ACJ on the internet, it's all true. And a lot of it is just complete rubbish. It's just not true at all. It has no effect on ACJ because it is, I don't know where the information comes from, but it's just complete lies. It, it's, it's not true at all. Um, so make sure that you, you know, don't make assumptions and ask good questions, be curious. And um, so try to interact with them through regular communication and rebuild a relationship with them if it has been broken. So focus the conversations on common values and interests while avoiding sensitive topics. So there can be certain topics about perhaps their leader or their organization or their doctrine mm. uh, that will be very sensitive to them. Avoid that. Don't talk about those things directly. Rather speak about what you and them have in common. What are important to both of you? What are things that you're interested in? Um, talk about those things. That is extremely important to, to, to rebuild a relationship. Take your time. Don't try to force it. So ultimately, you should try to sustain constant positive interaction. Keep everything positive. Keep it light. Don't try to put them on the spot. Don't unnecessarily poke, you know, poke them on sensitive mm -hmm. topics and try to kind of create some kind of emotion. It doesn't work. Uh, that's the kind of approach that a lot of people take. It, it doesn't work. It could perhaps and work. There could perhaps be a couple of cases, but generally speaking, it's not a good idea. Yeah. And what, would you say that not only does it not work, but probably in many cases, it just more strongly solidifies them in their belief and yeah. it might push them back yeah. further into it. It might cause them to recluse even further and deeper into it. And they, it'll probably almost give them more yes. weapons to say, <coughs> oh, I'm being, this is persecution. Persecuted. This is exactly what the Bible yeah. says I should expect, which is going to Absolutely. reinforce that, oh, I am on the right path because I'm, uh, you know, yes. this is what God said would happen <coughs> to me. And so really that, that, that approach could backfire big time, which is why I think what you're saying is that you, you need yeah, to be I agree. very careful on how you approach any time you're going to, to try to challenge. Um, I think there are times, <laughs> there are times to challenge, there are times to poke in certain ways but i think you got to be very careful and you gotta you gotta <coughs> discern when when is the appropriate time to do that and when is not because it, it could really i think yeah. backfire big time i agree no absolutely so as you've mentioned is is, is when you try to attack them too directly too quickly um they'll consider it persecution and then they'll think this is you know the enemy trying to deceive them. And this is an opportunity God has given them to test their faith and they'll focus more on the work that they're doing. And it's ultimately through them also chatting about this persecution with leaders in the church and then being consulted, it'll ultimately most likely reinforce their kind of uh, conviction in the organization mm -hmm. and their rules and doctrines and goals and stuff like that. So it tends to have the opposite effect of what, what people actually want. So I, I definitely agree with what you said. Um, so there, there needs to be this kind of constant interaction with them, a rebuilding a relationship. And when you build trust with them, it's, of course, what I'm saying now is pretty obvious, but you should build it through integrity, transparency, discretion. If like, for example, be honest, be open, uh, don't keep unnecessary secrets, don't lie to them. 
Um, I've heard people that say that, oh, because SCJ lies to them, they can also kind of, when they try to get people out, they also kind of sometimes speak a lie here or there. Yeah. Don't do that. Be completely Bad honest. Idea. Don't keep secrets. Be open and honest. You've got nothing to hide. Like, uh, there's there's been cases where uh, um, people will contact me and they'll say that they're in SCJ, they need help. And I'll, I'll, there's, there's, there's cases where those same people contacted other people on Reddit and those Reddit people contacted me and said, isn't this maybe someone that's in SCJ that's trying to get us back? Uh, isn't it an SCJ spy that's just trying to spy on us? And my response that I usually give is, it doesn't matter because I'll still speak the truth. I'll still be open and honest. Uh, it doesn't make a difference. I've got nothing to hide. SCJ can have someone that can chat with me for six months, uh, pretending like they doubt and they're not actually doubting. I don't care. I'll still give them the benefit of the doubt and I'll still be open and honest. I have nothing to lose. I, like I said, I don't think that they would be able to convince me again. Uh, but the, my, my point still stands is that be open, be honest and maintain discretion. Meaning that if you're chatting with someone in ACJ and they're sharing sensitive private information with you, please do not go and share it with like your pastor at your church or random other people. Um, if the ACJ person wants you to keep it a secret, if they if, if it's something they're sharing with you in confidence, please maintain discretion. It's extremely, extremely important. In ACJ, they tend to not maintain discretion. So when people are doubting, they're, they're afraid to talk to anyone in, in the church because even if they talk to someone in the church and they tell that person, please keep this between us, they don't. They have to report it to the leaders because they think that they have a responsibility to save these people. So don't be like that. Don't go and just report it to other people if you're part of some kind of group that wants to help someone. If someone in ACJ tells you something in confidence, keep it to yourself. Trust is extremely important. And if you can't keep it to yourself, then don't expect them to trust you. I mean, to be honest as well, from my point of view, if you can't maintain discretion with someone in ACJ that's doubting, you don't deserve to be trusted to begin with. So I would urge everyone to please be very discreet about sensitive information that they share with you. Keep it to yourself. You don't need to share it with other people. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying absolutely everything. I'm saying if there's something very personal or very private that someone in SJ mm -hmm. shares with you, don't go and put it on social media or tell it to the whole family or share it with your church or whatever. There's certain stuff that if you want someone to trust you, you need to be discreet. It's extremely important. Um, so try to give, if you're chatting with someone in SJ, try to give them the opportunity to be exposed to new ideas that are not shared within the group. So that they can discern for themselves and see the world from a different perspective to so try to ask them thought-provoking questions while being kind and curious so listen carefully to their answers take interest in their ideas and try to understand them better over time so the goal of the conversations that you have with them it's not you don't have to agree about things of course if, if most of us when we chat with scj people when it comes to religious things we, we're not going to agree with them um, and you don't need to agree. The goal of the conversation is not to necessarily agree with each other, but it's understand each other. And this is sometimes SCJ's approach. When they chat with people outside of the church, they usually try to convert people. They try to convert people to join their organization. So when they view communication with outsiders, generally speaking, they view it as, I need to get you to agree with me. We shouldn't take that approach. Our goal should not be to get them to agree with us, but rather Let's have understanding. Let's understand each other. That's our primary focus. Whether they agree with us or not is not the main goal. So keep the conversations, keep it positive, keep it productive, and keep it civil. And try not to get angry. 
even if they say some stuff that's very unethical or offensive, uh, sometimes you just got to keep that inside. And it's not just for yourself. You're doing it for them. And remember that you're doing these things. Sometimes we have to keep certain things inside for the sake of actually helping another person. Um, so, of course, if you're really angry, I'm not telling you to completely suppress it. You can vent it at a later time. But if you're going to vent all of your anger against ACJ in a conversation with someone in ACJ, you're not going to be able to help them. It's not going to work. I'm sure that <laughs> most people understand this. So yeah, it's better to end a conversation um, than to say something counterproductive. If you get to a point where you feel like this is no longer productive, just end the conversation. Change the topic or meet at a later time. You can return to that kind of conversational topic at a later time. Um, because you don't want the, the, the SCJ person that you're communicating with to break contact with you completely because they're upset with you or because they're afraid of what you're saying or something like that. So, you know, you can kind of discern over time what you can and what you can't say. That depends on the situation. But one of the things that, as I've mentioned before, what cults do is that they suppress your authentic identity. So try to connect people in a cult, if you communicate with them, try to connect them with their authentic identity before joining the group. If you're like a family member or friend that knew them before the group, remind them of past experiences and how you missed the connection that you used to have with them. Remind them of the past. Let them remember who they used to be. And this will ultimately make their authentic identity resurface. So, uh, and this is very important, avoid telling them what to believe, but rather empower them to discern for themselves and come to their own conclusions. This is extremely important. And this is a mistake that I think a lot of people make is what they tend to do is they'll tell you, you need to believe this and this and this and this and this. Don't take the same approach with them. And one of the worst things that I think that has happened, uh, some people have done this with ACJ. Um, and when I was in ACJ, I was against it and I'm still against it is you have cases uh, um, where there will be pastors and kind of Christian counselors outside of ACJ that they will literally like kind of kidnap SEJ people, force them into a room, and then in a forceful way, try to convert them to another doctrine from another church. Now, this is grossly immoral in my point of view. So don't coerce them into believing something else. Empower them. Let them think for themselves. Let them come to their own conclusions. When you empower them, they will start to think. They will start to be a bit more skeptical. They will start to doubt. They will start asking questions. And through that, they will come to their own conclusions. And in that way, when they leave, they will, they will know that it's their own decision. You've simply empowered them. You haven't controlled them the way that ACJ has controlled them. So give them the opportunity to leave with freedom in the way that they never had when they joined the organization to begin with. So we have to look at the way that ACJ recruits people, and we have to be better than that. We shouldn't follow any of the same kind of tactics to try to get someone out of ACJ. Because that's just as bad as what ACJ essentially does. Yeah, exactly. So other things that we can do is that in a very subtle way, we can try to teach ACJ members or cult members about things like manipulation, where we can mention things about deception, indoctrination, exploitation, coercion. And we can also try to teach them critical thinking. But it's important that we use examples that they have no emotional attachment to. So mm. we shouldn't teach about how their leader manipulates people. That'll trigger mm -hmm. them. Rather, we can, if, if you teach them like basic principles of like how human beings are manipulative, how we tend to want to control each other, how we are sometimes self-deceptive, how we try to deceive other people to get what we want. Um, they are very interesting 
kind of anecdotes and psychology articles on these types of topics, that's very interesting for people to learn. And all of this will give them an opportunity to start thinking for themselves. So we do it in a very subtle way. It's all about empowering yeah. them. Um, but it's very important I, that we avoid. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Finish your thought there. Yeah. So it's very important that we avoid overwhelming them with information. Like don't just throw a bunch of information on them. Rather kind of research yourself, study yourself a bit, take an interesting example and use it as a topic for discussion. But of course, you should know how they will respond. So don't just overwhelm them with information, especially if that information opposes their current beliefs because it will trigger them and you might lose the relationship completely. So you, you, you talk about trying to teach them in subtle ways about things like deception, indoctrination, coercion, yeah. these tactics of cults. I've, I know um, examples, like real, real life examples of people. <coughs> I believe they were World Mission Society Church of God members, but obviously a World Mission Society Church of God member isn't going to sit down and pull up a, a documentary on Netflix that's an anti-WMSCOG documentary. You know, they're not yeah. going to do that. But what they might yeah. do is watch uh, a <laughs> documentary about another cult. And, and I know examples yeah. where people have done that. People inside of the WMSCOG have watched documentaries or things like that that talk about other cults and that sort of uh, provide information about how the this, like other groups might function and, and take advantage of people. And that caused them mm. to think. It's kind of like it allowed them to come to their own conclusions on their own. Yeah. Um, and so that that might be a helpful suggestion too, just something to think about. It yeah. could be as simple as just Absolutely. if there's an opportunity, say, hey, there's this interesting documentary um, on on yeah. this group. I, I, what like what do you think about it? And ha make it to where it has nothing to do with with you are approaching it as, hey, this is you need to think about this because I think you're in a similar group as this. Don't approach yeah. it that way, but just just as something that you're giving them the opportunity to come across <laughs> this information on their own. Um, because I think I think that's that's worked in in real life um, situations. Mm, I agree. And so so that that could that could just be one example of a subtle way yeah. to expose them to to this sort of uh, information in a way that's not going to trigger them into defense mode. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Um, that, that that it pretty much ties to the to the idea of not specifically like you you want to talk about cults in some way but you don't want to speak in a way that it's too sensitive for them that they get triggered by it so mm -hmm. um I, I i i like to like send psychology articles to if there's anyone in acj that wants to chat um and sometimes they i mean most of the people that usually contact me are already doubtful so i don't go and try to actively get people out of acj but i know that there are parents and sometimes you know there's a lot of parents that have contacted me and wanted some tips uh, and I've shared with them some examples of like what I would share with 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 someone in ACJ. So there are people in ACJ that are very interested in science and also very interested in like things like logical fallacies and, and certain psychological things. So I think sometimes like sending a short article of like cognitive cognitive biases or like a couple of like what are common logical fallacies. Like a while ago, I sent some ACJ people about like the sunk cost fallacy where the article is mostly about like economics, but it also mentioned about like sacrifice towards if you belong to a specific group, if you've sacrificed a lot, you're kind of less likely to leave the group. And it just kind of gets them curious and like, wow, logical fallacy is quite interesting. And then before you know it, you get to other logical fallacies that are more pertaining to what they believe. So 
the point is it makes them curious and it, it makes them start, you know, thinking for themselves. And, and you kind of need to start in a subtle way somewhere. So I think an important thing to mention as well is that if there are people inside of a cult that are struggling with mental health, then it's very important that we suggest to them to seek help from a qualified mental health professional, even when they still believe in the doctrine of the cult. Um, sometimes that can also give them an opportunity to kind of rethink some stuff, to mm -hmm. kind of figure out their identity. Sometimes that actually results in people also leaving cults. Um, so there's been cases where people in cults will have mental health problems. They'll speak to their leaders. The leaders will tell them not to go to psychologists because they'll share with you the thoughts of the world. Uh, but if you show that you care about them and that you want them to see a professional, um, and sometimes they'll share some stuff. And before you know it, they start, you know, they rediscover themselves and they, they kind of want to leave the organization, not based on conversation with you, but based on conversations with psychologists. So that can also kind of be in that way. So uh, just to kind of uh, finish off, it's very important that we are patient with them. Uh, this is a process. Like if you help people, it's a process and it takes time. And we shouldn't get easily discouraged. Uh, eventually, a lot of people do leave cults. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily going to say that it will be guaranteed, but there's like a specific organization like SEJ. I think that a lot of like when Manny Lee dies, I think a lot of people will leave SEJ already. So um, mm -hmm. it's important that people don't get discouraged, uh, try to maintain relationships, even if it's like four or five years and it doesn't really get any better. If you have that good relationship, when the person eventually do start doubting, it's nice for them to know that they have people outside of the group that cares about them. So they have something to fall back on. So there's a lot of us that left ACJ. We were afraid to leave as well because we thought if we leave, our family will probably not want to take care of us anymore because we haven't spoken to them in many years. So, you know, they'll perhaps be angry with us and we'll struggle to survive. But my family was actually very embracive. But it will be not, it, it would have been even easier if I had a good relationship with my family while I was in ACJ and I knew that I could easily just go back and, and rejoin them and have a life. Um, kind of having that as an opportunity will also, if, when people are doubting, they're more likely to leave as a result of that as well. So it's important to kind of show cult people that, you know, we care about them and that they've got a home and they've got people to come back to when they eventually do decide to leave or, you know, when they doubt and they want to perhaps consider leaving. Yes. And that's it. <laughs> Very it's good. It's been a long well, video. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Well, I love this yeah. line here that, of that last section of how <laughs> you can help high control cult victims, basically. But you say here in the middle, try to sustain constant positive interaction. And, yeah. and so that, that of everything you said, that seems to stand out to me as, as one of the most important pieces of all this, because people who, those of you who might have family or whoever it is that you have inside of a cult that you want to get them out, I think the most important thing or one of the most important things for you to pursue is, is to be a person in, in your loved one's life that that you are somebody who is a a trustworthy positive tr uh somebody that they can depend on rely on somebody that they know is there for you that cares about about them um and and so which is why i think it's so important going back to what you you were saying at first to to avoid i think i think in many cases you need to avoid being that person in their life who's constantly just nagging on them about why 
they're in a cult. Mm. Why? Here, here's evidence. Here's evidence. I mean, there again. I think there's appropriate times and places to do that. But as a general rule, I don't. I don't. I think you want to maybe try to avoid being that person, depending on that. I think yeah. what level of of you know, if it's in really early stages of them. Um, being involved in a cult, maybe, maybe that's, that's probably times where there's, it's maybe more, um, going to be more effective and, and maybe you should do more of what you can do in those beginning stages. But, uh, but once they're really kind of, their roots have kind of sunk down into this group, I think you want to more or less avoid being that person in their life. You want, I think it's going to be important that you're a person who, when they think about you, they 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 have positive thoughts and feelings about that relationship with you. That, that you're not somebody who they perceive as as somebody who's just going after them, who's an enemy, who's just tr constantly trying to attack mm. this thing that they hold so closely. Because then you're gonna you're gonna become somebody who they trust. You're gonna become somebody who they feel like they can open up. Uh, open up to and 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 be real with be honest with and um and then you're going to be more likely than to have opportunities to really share you know to to be somebody who they can really trust to share um your yeah. your concerns or your your challenges or or whatever they might be um and, and and so i just i think that's super important and the other the other thing is that in cults, uh, you know, as specifically, I, I, you know, from my experience with SCJ and WMSCOG, these groups do not care about their members. They don't, they don't have a genuine, uh, uh, unconditional care, concern, or love. They care about the members in as much as they can get something out of them. And as much as those members have something yeah. to offer back to them, the moment the, the moment your loved one can no longer offer something to them, or has left the group, they're going to, they're going to drop them. They they're. And so again, that's why you can be somebody in their life who is not that uh, you can be somebody in their life, obviously, who does have that unconditional love and acceptance of them. And that should look like you loving them, even if they remain a part of this cult. Um, you, you don't make your, your relationship with them conditioned on whether or not they leave the cult because then you're you're just doing exactly you're being exactly like the cults are you're behaving uh in a very similar fashion as they do and so um you want to not not resort to the behaviors and the tactics in any way that that their their cults um rely on to keep them in um and so yeah that's all all great information Lori. uh that was very very good very helpful um and and i'm sure will help a lot of people who who listen <laughs>